Hello, everyone. Welcome to the vibrant world of social change agents, their campaigns, and their stories known as Solidarity Is This. I'm Anna Castro, your guest host this month and manager of Solidarity Is at the Building Movement Project. For our January 2022 podcast, my guest was Juniper Angelica Gia Loving, Associate Director of Gender Justice Leadership Programs at GSA Network. When I tell you that this podcast made my jaded, pandemic-weary heart grow three sizes, I am not exaggerating. If you enjoy it, please subscribe and share it with others. Gia is a true visionary. Her work for gender justice incorporates her own experiences as a transgender non-binary Latina, as well as the stories of young trans and non-binary people across the world. She is also the proud mama of one of the coolest kids around, Tiger. In our conversation, we focused on what it's like to build accessible nonprofit spaces for youth. We moved into what it's like to grow up in nonprofit spaces, move into leadership, and recognize that we are no longer the same organizers who stepped into this work. As an activist and as a parent, Gia shared some beautiful words on the importance of intergenerational movement building, building the world our youth deserve to grow up in, and the gift that keeps on giving, listening. Now on to the podcast with Gia Loving. Thank you so much for being here, Gia. It is so wonderful to see you and hear your voice again. It's always a pleasure to spend some time with you. And, you know, I've admired all of your work from afar and then had the pleasure of working with you at Transgender Law Center and getting to connect with the youth organizing base that you have developed. You are an incredible presence in that space. And so, you know, I want to kick off this conversation with you by asking you, you know, what was your entry point into activist work? I know you've probably had to share that story a lot of times. So I'm also curious about how that story has changed as you have taken on all of these different leadership roles. That follow-up was a good one. I was like, I'm ready to give you my spiel. <laughs> and then you were like, but then I want it relevant. Uh, I work for GSA Network and the and the Trans Law Center. And I started with the, both of the organizations through the youth programming, like on the other side, right? Of this work, um, receiving the like the support and the and the programming. When I was in high school, I think my sophomore year, it was when I was trying to start my GSA club. Uh, really just to get a space for uh, people like me. I had no idea who I was, but I knew I wasn't on the football team. So <laughs> I knew that much. So in that effort to get a GSA club, my school pushed back a little bit. And I, and I had like really just Googled, like, what, what should I do? And that's when GSA Network popped up. You know, I, I called, I asked for the resources. And then they invited me to, like, they had, they were having an activist camp that summer, you know, and they had open spots. So they were like, hey, like, kid, do you want to <laughs> come to our activist camp? And so for myself, at the time, I was, it was about, like, the third or fourth year since my family had become homeless. You know, we were experiencing housing insecurity. We were living in motels. So for me, like, I had called for help with, you know, starting a GSA club. And then what I heard was, like, an offer for, like, you know, a weekend of housing, a weekend of free food, a weekend of other queers. So I was like, hell yeah, sign me up. So then I, I went to activist camp that summer. And then I think I think I just stayed within the work. And then since then, I've grown, um, grown on what I meant to be involved in, in youth organizing, but also like in queer youth organizing and, and trans power building. You know, on that note, I'd love to know, like, as you went from someone that was receiving this programming to someone that is like creating it curriculum, like building up that energy and building up that community. What are some changes that you made? What are some things that you doubled down on? 
as a leader, like how have you shifted these spaces to make them more accessible, more inclusive, and more welcoming to trans and queer youth? After I graduated high school and I had also transitioned out of GSA Network's youth programming, you know, I had the opportunity to continue through like, you know, they're building like alumni program, but also um, at the same time was when we were creating or when TLC and GSA Network were partnering together to create the Truth Project, right, which was really just like our, our initial response to supporting trans youth holistically, but, you know, building out a program specifically for trans youth, by trans youth, to, you know, to support folks in sharing their stories, but also like be supported on all the other impacts. So, you know, I, I was lucky enough to like have the opportunity to be brought onto staff and, and help lead that. And that was kind of, you know, I think the first opportunity to really build out not only what the organizations thought we needed to respond to the moment in 20, I think 2015, but also like it was an opportunity for me to take my expertise or whatever they saw in me and bring it into the programming. Yeah, I think early in my organizing, like on the staff side, I really felt a pressure to, <laughs> to like, you know, create a replica of like what I had seen around me. You know, like I had seen programming that worked for like all the other like, younger queer like white students i felt pressure to like make something as polished and as nice and as like palatable <laughs> as what i was seeing but i think what truth really stuck with me not truth the program but like truth within myself you know what what my truth really stuck with me was i never forgot how i got involved i never forgot why i needed the programming and that always like challenged me to really like ask myself like would your younger self be able to be part of this right now and if your answer is no, if, if she cannot commit to this, that she cannot get to wherever you're hosting this thing, if, you know, if, if she cannot even find the application because she didn't have a computer, you know, it's like all those things I think have challenged me to make my, whatever project I'm working on as accessible as possible. And not just having that be like a, a lofty goal, but really just like a realized question of like, how do we make like the black and brown queers that we want in our programming, be able to see the work, be able to join the work and also stay in the work. I think a lot of the improvements I've been trying to um, you know, you really cultivate and, and shape along with my co-conspirators is really not only how do we reach folks that like the pandemic has opened the doors to in terms of like technology and, and online access, but also how do we keep folks involved, right? How do we acknowledge that people need like that immediate support? And then also how do we make it enticing enough for them to like stay involved, continue working on their leadership and, and you know, and, and grow on um, grow in ways that they didn't think was possible. You know, some of us are just looking for food and housing and then we end up having a whole career. <laughs> um, and that I think is what I want, uh, you know, for anyone who, who wants it. I really love that vision that is, you know, the understanding that you have to unlearn bits of white supremacist culture that are very pervasive in our nonprofit progressive e-spaces. Oftentimes the things that we want to create that mirror our experiences or at least take into account our experiences don't exist yet. And so when we're trying to think through like, this is what success looks like for this, we're talking about something that hasn't yet happened. We're like thinking through what that success could look like. We may not know what it looks like, but we know what it feels like. I don't know. I was like reading one of my journal. I was reading something that I had written a, a minute ago. And I was appreciating that, like the, the perspective that I had, that I had just because it had been something that was like a few months ago um, or like, more, I actually, I think more than, more like a few years ago, but it was talking about like, when I was first getting into organizing, there was something that I was clinging on to, which was the idea of like 
my mom has always been very real with me, has always been very honest with me, um, has never really beat around the bush. So when I started to get into organizing and started to learn all these like really core, like life, like changing like things about the world that I was like, oh my God, this is what's happening. And I was also bringing that information home and trying to digest it with someone. And my mom, you know, was the closest one in, in, in the motel room that we lived in. So there are moments where she just like really like flat out said like, if you want me to be part of this conversation, you need to like, you need to invite me in a way that like brings me into it. Doesn't like talk down to me. I feel like my mom really challenged me to not only bring home information that was like relevant, right? And, and like timely for the time we did have together, but also in a way that was accessible to everyone who I wanted in the conversation. And I think in the same way that my kid has challenged me to also like kind of know what I mean, because I would have to essentially like translate it to so his, you know, so he can comprehend it as eight year old. I think early on, I held on to that in, in my work and it's transformed in different ways and it's shown up in different ways over the years. But I think looking back, I'm still holding on to that. I'm still holding on to the challenge around making sure that my work never leaves the people who is impacted. I think even as I like work toward my own sense of basic security, the challenge remains like, how can my work still like serve that, that younger sense of self who didn't have access to resources, who was lucky enough to find and, and find a network for that day's needs. I love what you're saying because I feel like this is something that we can lose sight of. It's the fact that the person that you were when you entered into doing movement work may not be that the person that you are currently in the sense of your circumstances may have changed. You may be experiencing more like traditional stability. Like, you know, you're talking about like having like a, you know, income, like a salary, like sick days, like insurance, all of these things, which I mean, I, you know, I also remember like having that same feeling of I'm making more money than like either of my parents ever made in their lives. And that was when I first started working in nonprofits. And I was, you know, what would be considered these days, like, a tr- you know, troubled a nonprofit salary. It was like, that was still way more money than I had ever even thought of having. What has been your experience of like advocating for these accessibility in these spaces? I mean, right now in the world of youth organizing, what are some of the challenges that you still see out there in terms of creating spaces that are inclusive and accessible to all kinds of youth? And that is the that is a million dollar unfunded question. <laughs> um, you know, I think that back to the challenge that I've always had for myself around making sure that our work not only is reachable to the folks who we're trying to serve, but also like retainable. I think part of that has started to just answer the questions: what's what doesn't exist that should already exist, that we can make exist, right? I think a little bit of what we talked about earlier around like success looking like something that we don't see right now. I have appreciated the support um, and I think the trust of, of our organizations um, in trans youth leadership and saying like, this is what we need. And by this, we mean like, we need to pay folks for their time because even if we're under 18, like our time is, you know, it's still valuable um, both in capitalism sense, but also just like in our own sense. So in, in our own, like, uh, you know, everyday life, we also need to make sure that folks are able to get to our, our programmings and not only get there, but also like show up as their complete selves. That means that our space should be inviting like on, on the identity level, but also like they should be like not hungry and they should also not be thinking about where they're going to sleep that night. Right. So like things like that and integrating those questions into 
how we serve our one-on-one like youth leadership uh, and development programs, but also for our more like general programming, also thinking about how can how can we can create a virtual space that also answers all these questions that also like validates people's lived experiences, even if that might not be like totally relevant to the topic, right? Even if we're t- talking about trans power, you know, all these other subtopics are still very like timely and 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 heavy on people's hearts, even if maybe they're not like you know part of the quote unquote agenda. You know, Gia, um, you know, you bring up this really amazing, to- you know, amazing body of work that is being developed around creating spaces that are welcoming, inclusive, like you said allow someone to be their full selves in service of the work that they are doing, you know, seeing the benefit of ensuring that someone is able to bring in their experiences, being able to bring in their wisdom, their expertise to a space. And, you know, alongside that, I feel like that there's actually this counter trope to this that is encapsulated, I think, most recently in a New York Times article that was something about, you know, meet the 37-year-olds who are afraid of the 23-year-olds that work for them, that really highlights that there's also this big discomfort between how younger generations perceive what a healthy workplace looks like versus how other people perceive that and other generations perceive the demands that are being made of our workspaces, very specifically our movement spaces. And so I wanted to ask you that because I'm like, you know, I think there's no one better to ask about what it looks like to build intergenerational power than a youth organizer. And then, you know, we've had a lot of elders weigh in on this too, but I want to ask you, like, what do you think about this, like other this tension that people keep bringing up? I love the question on so many levels. And I think over the years, I've learned so much just about how important, how valuable, how precious, and also how timely, I think, listening to each other is. I think a lot of the conversations I'm seeing online from social movements right, for, for justice, but also just like, you know, <laughs> like high school drama, like, I mean, all of it I'm seeing, it can be helped a little bit by listening um, to each other. And I, I'll admit, I'll be the first to admit that I am not the best at listening. I think that it's something I've been working on over the years, in particular, just like actually training myself to to like appreciate listening. And part of that, I think, is is being able to have learned just exactly like the power that building relationships, regardless of age, regardless of race, regardless of identity, just building relationships has on any kind of like goals, right? Whether it's like we're trying to build solidarity in, in moving spaces, whether I'm trying to uh, work, work on my relationship at home with my boyfriend. It's like all these places, like the more I pour into the relationships, the more I pour into listening to this person and actually hearing them and like actually like asking them questions instead of like already having responses ready. Like all this kind of relationship building has been so like magical. And I feel like I wasn't given like this as like a, hey, you wish you should invest in relationship building and it'll and it'll help you in all the areas of your life. It was more like, we don't have time for that. Like you need to get the work done and like, you know, a social might happen <laughs> or like you might be able to talk about it on, on the side, but like, where's the work kind of thing. Yeah. So I think that's the question I was asking myself was like, where is the work? If all of that feels good is relationship building. Um, right. And I think through listening to my elders, through listening to my kid, through listening to, um, to solid therapists that um, people who are doing like healing justice organizing, like, like the um, National uh, Queer and Trans Therapists of Color Network. I felt like all these different ways I've been receiving the wisdom around 
actually the work really is in the in, in the surviving and the thriving. Like we're not just saying that as a tagline. We're saying that because like in those moments when we're experiencing that trans joy, like that is our mission being accomplished. And while we don't have that permanently, like it is important to enjoy those moments, remember those moments, and then build toward that over and over and over again. And I think that when I when I talk about this, it it all makes sense in my mind, and I know that maybe we, I don't know, it, it it'll look different. We put it into a grant report, but this is really a question around like what is the work? Where do we value the work? And capitalism is not going to point us <laughs> in the right direction. <laughs> if 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 it was going to, it would have done that a long time ago. No, I love that because you literally hit on something that I talk about all the time, which is solidarity is so much about relationship building. And you said listening, listening is such a key component of solidarity, of building relationships. And it doesn't matter like who you're interacting with, like actually being able to pour that energy into listening actively, not for the sake of let me respond to you, not for the sake of like, we're going to have a debate, not for the sake of working on the strategy plan, but of like, I legitimately care about you and want to hear you. I think that's so beautiful, though, the way that that has just like shown up in your work and you pointing out like very rightly so that where do you write that in, in the campaign strategy report, in the uh, funder report, in the, all of that, when that is what makes like everything all of it actually work. And, you know, going on that, I like wanted to ask you, you know, over the past, like, however, God, I can't even, I don't even know how much time has passed, but since March, 2020, so much uh, has changed because of the pandemic. We had the uprisings in defense of black life. Um, We've had, you know, a crisis in quote unquote democracy. And there have been ongoing attacks on trans youth. There's just been so much that has fundamentally changed how we interact with each other um, to the point where, you know, the idea of a vaccine or masks is political. And I wanted to ask you, how have you seen this affect our youth and specifically trans and queer youth? What do you think the effect of all of these crises has been on a population who right now should be like going through the, you know, the beautiful, messy, embarrassing, formative years, (laughs) but, you know, they look just so drastically different than they may have in the past. The real questions (laughs) about the real impact on real lives, (laughs) on real bodies, right? You know, I think that the past few years has been the, the chaos that we all know it to be, and has been, like, I think in so many ways I've heard people talk about it as a portal and I really do think that it's like cool this might be a, a choice point in, in like history and I think history is always a choice like there's there's always a choice point <laughs> like where are we where are we in on um, in, in this moment of history but I think right now what young people are able to see is not only feeling the truth around like what does it feel like to like not have our needs met but also to watch like lies become uncovered right watch systems that they're learning about in like, you know, US history class or government class and to see it actively not working, right? Like I can't imagine what the teachers are talking about in terms of like three branches of government while like 45 was president, you know, like the irony that folks are seeing on such a honest level, I think has set folks up to not only, I think it just pushes us to to, to the realization that if anyone's going to save ourselves, it's, it's going to be us. Like there, there, there's no way around it. 
the, the idea of the government or the idea of institutions supporting us while young people are actively experiencing like being pushed out, being criminalized, being like removed, I think just puts us in a position to to make that a point of activation, to make to make this a point where young people are taught that they not only deserve to have all their needs met of their dreams, but then also they, they have the power to make that possible, that they have the power to make that possible now because the systems are are failing folks every day. And, you know, the idea of we are going to be the ones to save ourselves. What does that mean for what comes next? You know, because the pandemic is not over yet. And what we, you know, here I am in Texas and the Texas legislature is just made mm-hmm. it their mission to abdicate from their responsibilities to target folks in this state. What comes next after this? How do we get to this place of being able to imagine what abundance looks like and liberation could look like and mutual support could look like? I was listening to another podcast uh, and I was, I think it was like Toshi Regan who was, who was talking about what it means to like sit with the question around like, damn, the government's really failing us. <laughs> the government has always failed us, right? Like really sitting with the question around like, damn, like our people don't have what they need sitting with that hurt and then figuring out what's next. And I remember them talking about how in that moment is when it's really up to the community to be everything that the community needs to get really good at all the kinds of systems, whether that's like healing each other and supporting each other, whether that's supporting each other's bodies and whether that's like uh, supporting each other's minds and helping each other learn all these different systems that, that we have acknowledged that are broken, but we you know, continue to have to have to work under. Why don't we try to start building those within our communities? And I think all around our examples of communities are already doing this, right? Already, already bringing in not only like throughout our movement's history, like with the Black Panthers, right? It's like starting uh, breakfast programs and schools, but also just like what that looks like today, right? And that, that that's all possible today. I think an example with at the Trans Law Center, right, is our is our trans agenda for liberation. Clearly outlines exactly what that can look like, what building a new world looks like, what like investing in all these systems that are run by our community for our community look like i think all that kind of creative work is is happening now i I was going to say happening next but it's like it's happening now and i'm excited for for younger folks to always be invited to that conversation around how we can like not lose that like naive imagination from childhood and how we can truly just like hold on to it and use that to get get ourselves out of the the mess that we're inheriting you're so right because it's literally the inheritance of this um that i feel is so very, to me, it's like particularly poignant looking at how youth climate justice activists approach this work, how Native uh, youth organizers approach this work. They are so explicitly saying, um, as well as trans youth, are so explicitly saying it is life or death right now. And we choose life and we choose like love and we choose building with each other. You know, sometimes I um, I'm hanging out with my kid, and I think like something happens, and I react to the moment, and then I like look at him after I'm like, okay, girl, I know you're reacting, but like you also need to check on your kid. I look at him, and and then I'm like watching for his reaction, and then I don't see it, and then I'm like, like didn't you see what just happened? Like whatever that may be, right? Um, and then I realize like, oh, my, my kid is being raised in a different world than I was, right? Like even in our, even if we're like not that far off in age, I think his his upbringing has, has allowed him to just imagine new things because he's experiencing different things. I sometimes I'll admit that like, as a, you know, I get a little jealous. I'm like, Oh my God, like 
<laughs> how does it feel to be raised <laughs> uh, like this you know like as if i as if uh, i'm really i was really craving that from when i was when i was younger like this moment around a world of violence feeling natural feeling like yes this is just like almost like you know for granted seeing that possible for my kid i think is what is what i'm driven by to just be the norm i would love for younger people to be raised and really believe that like you know that whatever they think is 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 their potential is like their potential and for folks to have the resources to be able to like chase those dreams right that looks like maybe getting <laughs> getting getting good at, at schooling folks or getting our schools to have what they need but i do think that it that's what's keeping me going throughout this like last few years but also just like my own life is is this idea that like my kid can really know a world that is peace. Thank you so much, Gia. That was beautiful. And it was a pleasure listening to you. You're a real visionary. And <laughs> no, you're a real visionary. And I just felt really transported by some of the things that you said. In our conversation, Gia focused on the power listening can have in movement conflict. Listening is critical to building strong relationships and to building strong movements. It's not always easy. We may not always like what we hear, but it's how we unearth connections and strengthen commonalities. My conversation with Gia reminded me of the moments in movement work that I've experienced true joy. The joy of learning someone has been released from jail or immigration detention. The joy of passing legislation that will ensure someone has the right to vote restored. The joy of winning a landmark settlement that ensures people will be reunited with their families after deportation. In those memories, I am not alone. I am surrounded by my amazing coworkers, friends, and people who fought for their lives and won. Because together, we win. Was there conflict involved in that work? Absolutely. On the other side of it, I can reflect on how it sharpened my political analysis, made me a better supervisor, and a well-rounded advocate whose work doesn't stop at the win. Here are a few questions to guide your own listening practice. First, what are some of the assumptions that I bring into my work? Why? How can I make room for more curiosity or knowledge sharing? The second group of questions is about listening. How am I practicing listening with my coworkers, with my supervisors, with the people I supervise, with the community members centered in our work, with our partner organizations, and with my coalition? The rewards are clear. The rewards of listening are the ancestral wisdom we share when we build bridges between communities. The rewards are the power we have when we work collaboratively together and the joy we feel when we secure wins for our community. Until next time, I wish you the love and support you deserve. I'm Anna Castro. See you on these digital streets. Mm -hmm.